Luke chapter 6. This is our, our third week in Luke 6. Daniel's going to finish it off next Sunday morning. Uh, this is the, the Sermon on the Plain. We don't know whether this is exactly the same as the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel or whether it's similar content on a different occasion. It really doesn't matter. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, this stuff... Everybody knows that Jesus says, love your enemies, but every time you have to go back over that again and uh, figure it out and think through it and apply it, it's still a challenge. Uh, So I have found this a tough three weeks in terms of preparing this, and I'm sure you've probably found some of it pretty challenging to listen to. Um, Jesus said, and this is the reason why we focus in so much on his words Uh, Linda has just introduced by speaking his name over so many situations. He is the center. And we do not want to deviate off course at all. We don't want to give you wisdom for living. We want to give you Jesus' words, Jesus' commands. And in a, a passage at the end of Matthew's gospel called the Great Commission, where Jesus gave us a very clear, succinct command, he said, Go and make disciples of all nations. Nobody gets left out. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. So part of the essence of discipleship and following Jesus is to look at his commands and apply them to our lives. It's, it's, in one level, it's quite simple, but on another level, it's extremely challenging. But if we dismiss the things that Jesus says, if we take the attitude, well, I, I can't do that, or I don't want to do that, or I'll obey these two or three commands, but I'm going to leave out these couple, then we're not following him, right? It's all or nothing. Last or two weeks ago, we saw that we had to change our attitude at the start of Luke 6 about how we measure our lives, the things that the world uses to gauge success, like riches and supply and provision and laughter and popularity. Jesus says those are not the metrics for success. Those are not the things that we use to gauge whether or not we're doing okay. He says, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping and the persecuted. He turns it the right way up again. And then last week it was love your enemies. And the sort of challenge that I left you with there was don't be an echo. In other words, don't allow the way people treat you to determine how you're going to respond. Don't just bounce back with the way you're treated. Don't just treat people well because they treat you well and don't treat people badly because they treat you badly. Don't be an echo. Have your own moral standard. Have your own decision to love people regardless of how they actually treat you. And then this week, Jesus gives some pictures that have both got a little bit to do with wood, I guess. We've got planks, and then we've got trees a wee bit later, and that's all. We're only going to get doing half a dozen verses this morning. Let me read them to you. So this is Luke 6, 39 to 45. Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, when Jesus originally said that, people would have laughed. 
it's a 2,000 year old joke and it's lost its edge a wee bit, but it is funny. A plank stick. I was going to put up a picture that I found of somebody who had drawn this, but it was a bit gross and I thought the kids might not like it. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let's pray before we just dive into these verses. Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, will you come and will you empower us to receive, to obey, to be transformed, to be convicted, to be encouraged, to follow Jesus fully in these things that he has commanded. Amen. Jesus liked to use extreme illustrations to make a point. So picture the scene. Bring it maybe up a few centuries from the original. Let's say you've got a blind man and he's trying to cross the road in Times Square. All right, New York City, the crossroads of the world. Blind guy waiting to get across the road. And who comes and helps him but another blind guy comes and helps him. All right, what's going to happen? They're going to get hit by a yellow cab and the two of them are going to be wiped out. And Jesus paints this picture. It's extreme. It's almost silly. It has given us a saying that we all use from time to time. We talk about the blind leading the blind. And Jesus is applying this, I think, not just to any random person whose eyesight is not what it used to be. Jesus, for about two or three chapters now in Luke, has been on a collision course with a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And here again, the guns are loaded for these guys. The most frequent thing that Jesus says to the Pharisees in the Gospels, the accusation that he brings again and again against them is this. You're blind. When he talks about blindness, he is talking about spiritual blindness. And he is here highlighting the danger of following leaders who are blind themselves spiritually. The student will be like their teacher. It's a bit like we might say, like father, like son. Because in that context, the student would have been had a relationship with a teacher or a rabbi, which was like a father-son relationship. Like father, like son. You will become like the one who is leading you, the one who is teaching you. And that spells trouble for those who are following blind leaders. Jesus says there's no point in you following the Pharisees because you're just going to become like them. In fact, he said in, uh, in Matthew 23, it's an entertaining chapter where he lets loose on these guys big time. 
He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, listen to this, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. (laughs) In other words, once a Pharisee wins a convert, the convert becomes like the Pharisee. Jesus says, be careful who you follow. If the blind are leading the blind, both will fall into the ditch. You can only follow the teachings of Jesus. And you should be following someone or who is themselves clearly following Jesus, clearly manifesting his character in their lives. You need to be really careful who leads you, who influences you. And in our culture, we have so many influences, not just in terms of a classroom or a church or, or, or you know, whatever else might be around us. There's the books we read, the things we watch, the podcasts we listen to, the music we listen. There are so many things that can come in and influence us. We need to be careful what we are allowing to settle in our minds. Otherwise, we could become blind like the ones that we are following. In church, we need mentors. We need people who will disciple other people. It cannot all be done by a leader or a small group of leaders. It has to be a community effort. Everybody gets to play. But we need to follow those who themselves can see clearly whose lives are grounded and focused on Jesus. And he goes on then to to develop this a bit further in the next verses with this famous story about planks and specks. And again, it's meant to sound ridiculous. I was going to bring a plank down to, to hold against my eye, but you get the point. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Don't separate this from what's gone before. If you've got a plank in your eye, you can't see. You're blind. And you're therefore not able to help others deal with the minor things in their own lives. If you've been around long enough, you'll have noticed it. In the church in Northern Ireland, we have made criticism one of our particular strengths. And it is not good. We are, we are so capable of criticizing others. It's something that I think if you were to go to a random person in the street who had maybe a little bit of experience from being around Christians and you were to ask them to list what are, what are some of the things that go on in Christian circles, unfortunately, a couple of things that might be on the list would be criticism and hypocrisy. We are known for our ability to criticize others and bring them down. We're famous for it. And I want you to notice that Jesus does not just say about the speck of sawdust in any random person's eye. It's your brother's eye. It's it's not that we, we, you know, we shouldn't criticize anyone. But this is not just criticizing the world. This is criticizing each other in the body of Christ. Tearing each other down, fault finding, speck hunting, looking for little things in other people and making a big deal out of them. How do we look at each other? Because Jesus said that the world would know 
that we are his disciples when we love each other. And again, it's simple. This is simple. Last week was simple. Hard maybe to follow, hard to obey, but profoundly easy to understand. Church, if you want people who are outside of the community of faith to know that we are his disciples, then we must love each other. It's simple. And if we fail to love each other, then we send a message that we are not his disciples. If we squabble and bicker and fault find and nitpick and look for specks in people's eyes, we send a message to the world, we're not really the people of God. We don't love each other. We like to put each other down. How do you look at your brothers and sisters? How do I look at people? How do I look at people whose faith is not maybe as stable as my own faith or our own faith is? How do we look at people who now and again have a bit of a wobble? Life throws all sorts of things at people and sometimes people just wobble on the journey. They trip, they stumble, things get difficult. How do we look at people like that? Do we criticize them? Do we, you know, make this wobble, this little stumble into some huge issue? Or do we aim to restore them and help them? What about people who, who in our eyes or in the eyes of somebody else, in the eyes of the world, have not served as impressively as somebody else has maybe served? What sort of way do we look at them? How do we look at people who have not yet achieved victory in a particular area of life that we have achieved victory in? Do we expect people who've been walking with Jesus for six weeks to have the same level of maturity in their lives as those who've been walking with them for 20 years? Are we reasonable in how we look at one another? Or do we pick out things that people are genuinely struggling with and make them into massive issues and criticize them for it? A critical attitude can become so poisonous that you can look at someone who is actually spiritually mature, who is in all or in in many respects a spiritual giant, an exemplary figure, a mature believer, and you can find one little thing and dismiss them completely. That's how far it can go when you allow a critical attitude to get into your heart. Nobody measures up as far as you're concerned. And all the while, Jesus says, we fail to see our own issues because we're just looking for the faults in other people. And we've got this two before sticking out of our eyes. And every time we turn our heads, we whop somebody else and hurt them. And then we turn again and we whop somebody else and hurt them. You see, criticism and inability to see our own faults and just look at the faults of others, we just hurt people all over the place with the plank that we refuse to acknowledge. Tom Wright, no sermon is complete without a wee bit of Tom. What people, listen to this, because this is good. He's a smart man. What people criticize frequently Sorry, what people criticize is frequently what they are subconsciously aware of in themselves. They will criticize something in others that's actually their own issue. (laughs) The speck and plank are a classic case of what psychologists call projection. The person knows there's something seriously wrong with his own eye, So tries to avoid the problem by telling someone else there's a tiny problem with theirs. 
Folks, this is the way so many people live. We have planks, we have issues, and we refuse to deal with them. And the way we refuse and the way we avoid is by projecting onto other people and picking out the specks in their eyes. The the problem is, and we'll talk about the specks later, the problem is we don't pick out the specks. We usually either knock their heads off or poke their eyes out in our clumsiness because we haven't dealt with our own issues. There's a great example of this in the life of King David. You'll probably know a little bit about King David back in 2 Samuel, around about chapter 11. He has an affair with a lady called Bathsheba. And then he arranges for her husband to be killed to sort of try and clean up the mess. And it looks like he has cleaned up the mess, but then a prophet comes to him called Nathan. And Nathan is a brilliant storyteller. And he tells David the story about a guy who had loads and loads of sheep and loads of lambs. Rich guy. And another fella who just had one little lamb and he loved it. It was almost like a family pet. And the rich guy went to the field of the poor guy and took his lamb. And David, when he hears the story, is raging at this injustice that has taken place in his kingdom. The thought of somebody who has so much going and taking from somebody else drives David mad. And Nathan then just comes out with the magic words, You are the man. You're the man who has everything but took another man's wife and David is caught and exposed able to see somebody else's sin in this little story that Nathan made up but all the while completely blind to the plank in his own eye you're the man so do we do this do we find specks to avoid dealing with our own planks this is not easy (laughs) Not easy to read, not easy to meditate on, not easy to listen to. Do we criticize? And I'm going to keep this largely in-house, as in in the community of faith, in the church. But we do this with other people outside the church as well. Do we criticize other churches? Um, whenever I'm doing Bible studies in school with kids, every few years I might take a group of sixth form kids and once a fortnight meet them and do a Bible study. And at the start of the year, I lay out two rules of the Bible study. Religious people like rules, okay? Two rules of the Bible study. One, the Bible is the last word. So we can discuss things and we can kick them around, but whatever this says, whether you like it or not, this is the last word. That's rule number one. Rule number two, there will be no criticism of any church. It will not be tolerated. I don't care who they are. There will be no criticism of any church, no criticism of any leader. You may want to talk about your experiences, and that's fine, but we will not criticize. Because sermons get criticized. They're too long, they're too short, they're too loud, they're too quiet. They're too pointy, <laughs> too stingy. Songs get criticized. Oh, you can't believe you sing, and you sing that song. Do you really sing that song? And, and people criticize songs. Folks, songs are poems written by men and women who are not Jesus. And they will not, therefore, be perfect. Right? Stop ripping them to bits. Stop ripping them to bits. There may be the odd song out there that is profoundly theologically wrong, but there's not very many. The vast majority, I believe, are written by people who love Jesus and want to give the church something to sing to Jesus. 
Stop criticizing songs. We criticize Bible translations. Do you really use that version? I can't believe you use that version of the Bible. We don't use that here. No, listen. Apart from the Jehovah's Witnesses version, can you remember the name of it, and the Mormon version, and there's one version that I'm not even going to name because I don't want to get drawn into criticism that I'm not that sure about, but it's not very popular, and I'm certain that none of you use it. It's more of an of a American thing. Uh, but like, I don't care. King James Version, if you like it, that's fine. NIV, go for it. ESV, go for it. NLT, ABC, EFG, whatever. Go for whatever translation you want. Don't criticize people because they read from a different... It's madness. We criticize leaders. We drive leaders out of churches with constant criticism. Men and women who have laid down so much to serve God and they get criticized to death. I have a friend who was criticized for praying with his eyes open. Like, what? Praying with his eyes open was driven out of a church by relentless criticism. And that was one of the points. He prayed with his eyes open. Not only do we criticize those who lead, we also criticize those who attend. I can't believe you go there. Do you really go there? See, the critic will always find something more to criticize. But meanwhile, those who are criticizing usually are not showing a radical character of Jesus in their own lives. There's a guy that I'm I'm going to quote here. I haven't got his name up because I'm not sure whether he finished well. (laughs) So I'm just not putting his name up, but I like this. The faults we criticize in others are often those we refuse to face in ourselves. We mentioned that already. Here's personal confession. I tend to criticize over activity and busyness because I am shocking at it myself. The faults we criticize in others are often those we refuse to face in ourselves. Now listen to this. Those who criticize others and the community. So those who criticize a church, criticize a group of believers or whatever. Those who criticize others and the community and seek an ideal one. In other words, they won't settle and put their roots down and develop relationships and go on a journey with a group of people over a period of time. At times it is right to change church. You move house, you change job, things happen. All right, so that that happens. But people who are constantly criticizing and then seeking out the ideal community somewhere else are often in flight from their own flaws and weaknesses. If you find that in this community the Holy Spirit starts to shine a light on your own issues, stay and deal with them in love. Don't run off because do you know what? Six months, two years somewhere else and the light will go on again. And you'll find the issues again come into the head. Don't then run off. Stay and deal with them in a safe place, in a community of love. Don't fly. Don't run from your flaws and weaknesses. And a critical heart is a symptom of spiritual blindness. This is the blindness of the Pharisees who then criticize Jesus and his followers. What planks are you avoiding? What planks am I avoiding? Come on. What are the planks that are in our eyes? Do we use the sins of others to hide our own sins? 
Do we run people into the ground to avoid any chance of our own hearts being opened? Because if we do that, that's completely opposite to Peter in this wonderful verse where he says, above all, if the verse starts with above all, it's probably important. Above all, love each other deeply. Okay, is there anything more important if it's above all? Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love looks at the specks in the eyes of other people and doesn't make a big deal. Helps, as we'll talk later, to to restore them and see them walk right with Jesus, but doesn't make a big deal of it. Love covers over the sins of others. Hatred and criticism takes the sins of others, makes them look bigger to hide our own planks. It's just sometimes it feels... I, I frequently look at my notes on a Sunday morning and think... This is really simple. I have nothing to say here that's profound and deep. It's really quite straightforward. Accountability has got to start with ourselves. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Dallas Willard pops up quite frequently when you're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, commenting on this in a book called The Divine Conspiracy, he says, we must abandon the deeply rooted human practice of condemning and blaming and claiming that we are right. Started back in the garden. The very first deviation from faithfully following God ended up with people, you know, it wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me, it was I, she did it. It wasn't me, it was the snake. That practice of condemning and blaming other people and all the while insisting that we are right. And notice please as well, the, the, um, the call to take the plank out of your own eye is in order to then be able to help remove the speck from somebody else's eye. You see, it, it is okay to help people get restored. Remove the speck, okay? Not point it out, not make much of it, not talk to other people. Have you seen the speck in his eye? Not, not sort of put people down or humiliate them or make much of their failings and problems. You understand, it's not just you will see clearly so you can see the speck and talk about it. It's so that you can help them get rid of it. <laughs> so that you can help them be restored. Not that you can make them feel worse about the thing that is in their eye. Horrible having something in your eye, isn't it? Yeah? You need to see clearly to help remove it. Dallas again says, we must beware of believing that it's okay for us to condemn as long as we are condemning the right things. Don't justify yourself saying, that's wrong and therefore I can condemn that person. No, Jesus said, don't condemn. (laughs) Again, so simple, do we need a preacher? <laughs> so simple. Don't condemn. It's not like, right, I've dealt with a plank in my eye. Now I'm going to go around and condemn everybody because I've got rid of it. No, I'm going to, I'll help people. And people will actually come to me or come to a person for help when they see that that person has dealt with their own issues and is not ignoring them or oblivious to them. They will seek out help from a people or a person who has vision, who is not blind, 
who sees Jesus and walks like Jesus. That's the sort of people that someone with a speck in their eye want, want to go and see and spend time with. You've got clear vision. I've got this speck in my eye. Help me out. You know, that's what they're looking for. It needs removed. Here's how you remove it, according to Paul in Galatians 6. If there is something in someone's eye, how do we deal with it? How do we help people restore? Look at Paul's advice. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, as far as I know in the original language, there's a sort of an element to that that's something like, if you are certain that there is a sin. Not you're just speculating or thinking, hmm, there might be a wee bit of sin. But if you're actually certain that there's an issue. Look who should deal with it. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person. The spiritual, the mature, who have got rid of the planks. And just so you know, planks have a tendency to come back. You get rid of one plank, another plank can come along and take its place. This is something you want throughout your Christian life to be aware of and thinking, is there a plank? (laughs) Is something else coming in and clouding my vision, my ability to see clearly? You who live by the Spirit, this is something for people who are exhibiting spiritual maturity. And look at how the aim of removing the speck, you who live by the Spirit should, what's Nigel Woods' favorite word? Restore. (laughs) Restore. Not point out. Not make the speck look bigger than it is. Not go and talk at the prayer meeting. We need to pray for such and such because there's a a speck in that person's eye. No. Restore. And how do you do it? Gently. You see, condemning never ever achieves anything. Have you ever been condemned by anyone? Even if it's a genuine issue in your life, but they have not come in maturity uh, to restore you gently, they've condemned you, they've put you down straight away, your wall goes up, you're not interested, your back goes up, you get defensive, you're not going to receive any help from that person. But if someone comes in a spirit of maturity to restore and to handle gently, then you will receive, I will receive what they're offering. It's good to see every human being wrapped up in that tape that you'll see sometimes around a box that comes to the door and it says on the tape, handle with care. Human beings are easily broken. Handle with care. You see a genuine issue that needs to be restored, it takes maturity and gentleness. And Paul also says, watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Don't be thinking you're above whatever it is that you're seeing in the other person. That you're immune to that thing that they're struggling with and that you can't be caught by it as well. And another thing in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. So if someone's burdened down by a sin, burdened down by whatever it is in their lives that is just destroying them or is holding them back, help them carry it. Get into their shoes and feel what it is like. Try to empathize with them and understand the pain that they're going through instead of just thinking, well, that particular thing's not a problem for me, so it shouldn't be a problem for him. What's the big deal? Carry each other's burdens. As we finish off, Jesus goes on, and this is, this is a lot more brief. He goes on to talk about trees and fruit. 
in verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. If you go into somebody's garden and they have a few fruit trees at this time of year, you will know whether it's an apple tree or a pear tree because there'll be apples on it or pears on it. Again, simple. The nature of the tree will be shown over time by the fruit that it bears. You cannot produce fruit that is not in keeping with who you are and your character. You cannot take a bunch of grapes and go to a bramble bush in a hedge and tie them on. You're not going to fool anybody. That's religion. That's external, moral, righteous behavior for show that is not a transformed heart. It takes time for fruit to be revealed. But if there's an absence of it, there's a problem. If somebody walks with Jesus for a period of time, and particularly they are not showing the fruit of love to other people, they might struggle with it, but they're showing it. Nothing's happened. Okay? Fruit is born. It happens naturally. If there's no fruit, there's a serious problem with the tree. Jesus says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. What do you store up in your heart? What have you got locked away in here that you can then bring out to bless other people with? Spurgeon. I don't think he was the one who came up with this phrase, but it is my favorite Spurgeon quote. And I also think he looks a wee bit like a tabler who's not here this morning. Give him 10 or 15 years. What's in the well? (laughs) What's in the well comes up in the bucket. It's simple. You drop a bucket into a well, whatever's down there is going to come up. Whatever's in your heart is going to come out through your mouth. And the mouth can very, how we speak about other people can very quickly show what's going on in our hearts. If you've been wronged by somebody, that hurts. It does hurt. If someone has slandered you, it hurts. Someone has criticized you, as we've talked about earlier, it hurts. But what's in your heart will be exposed by what then comes out your mouth as you speak about that person. You don't have to tell lies about them and say they're wonderful and they have treated me so kindly. But you can choose not to run them into the ground and make sure that everybody else thinks badly of them. What's in the heart is what comes out of the mouth. What have you got stored in your heart? So as we finish, as we reflect on this, Something that is a big deal in education and probably a lot of other jobs as well is self-evaluation. <laughs> self-evaluation. As is constantly the phrase used in churches, don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about the person beside you. Think about yourself. We've been journeying in community for quite some time. We know each other well. Thursday nights are magnificent and we are getting to know each other better. Like any family, like any group of people, 
human beings, every one of us has specs, every one of us. But let's not focus on the specs just for now. Let's focus on the planks. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, what are the things in my life that I need to deal with because it's stopping me from seeing clearly, it's stopping me from bringing restoration to other people, and in fact, it's hurting people because every time I move, somebody else gets hit with a plank. Yeah? So as we finish, we'll pray. Jesus frequently reminds us that the problem is the heart. But thank God for Ezekiel 26, 36, sorry, verse 26. I'll give you a new heart. If you're early on the journey, if you're young in your faith, stop thinking that you've got to fix your heart. Jesus said, I'll give you a new one. I'll give you a new one. I'm going to take away the old heart that is full of nasty stuff that criticizes and puts people down and constantly looks at the sin of others to try and avoid looking at our own issues. He said, I'm going to take that away. (laughs) I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to do a little bit of surgery on it and patch it up. I'm not going to put in a few stents around it or whatever. I'm taking it out. And I'm going to put in a new heart. And out of that new heart, that he will give you with his spirit inside you what comes in the overflow, what comes up in the bucket, blesses people, brings life to people, becomes a spring of living water instead of just nitpicking and criticizing like the Pharisees. Thanks for listening. Not easy to listen to.